together today, a very distinguished panel to, dis to discuss these issues. Um, and you know, it comes with the realization that there is a weakness in the current uh, tax rule system that we have because we haven't recognized <coughs> that businesses have moved primarily from being offline into being uh, mostly online. And by that I mean we, have, well, we mean that we have to deal with issues like the intangible assets, data and automation, and with the fact that a lot of companies don't have a physical presence in a number of companies, but do have economic activity. This is very much the motivation behind the event we have put together and all the subsequent problems that these new challenges arising from the digital era have created for us. So we worry about the free rider position, how do we tax countries that actually take advantage of this and use laws and institutions and infrastructure that countries provide but then when it comes to the economic uh, uh, taxation issue, uh, they are not, uh, they're not present. So uh, in the Council of uh, December 5th, there was a very clear decision, a very clear suggestion uh, that the EU needs to have a modern tax framework to seize those digital opportunities, uh, but at the same time ensure a taxation system that is both modern and fair. So a number of challenges I'm hoping that discussions today will, will address. Uh, where to tax, and that of course means uh, how do we deal with the problem of the non-physical presence when you have commercial presence, and what to tax. How do you go about establishing the issue of economic value when you deal with things that are not quite so tangential, the intangible assets, data, and, and knowledge. A number of problems to discuss. I'm hoping that the panelists will address them both in the short term, uh, coming from commission suggestions, but also in the longer term, things like the equalization tax on turnover of digitized companies, the withholding tax on digital transactions, and the levy on revenues generating from the provision of digital services and advertising activity. Um, in the EU, of course, more challenges, um, and they come also from a broader issue of the common consolidated corporate tax base. I'm hoping that today the discussion will address some of these or other challenges that our panelists consider and deem important. And with that, I will not take any more space and pass the word to our chair who will, who will handle the discussion. Thank you. I think you perfectly set the landscape. So I will quickly move to the introduction of the speakers. Uh, we will start with uh, Stephen Quest, uh, Director General at the European Commission DG Taxation and Customs Union. Very glad to have you here, Stephen. Uh, then uh, we'll move to the panel discussion. We have uh, Johannes Becker, who is a professor and director of uh, the Institute of Public Economics at the University of Münster. Uh, he will give us the academic perspective. Thanks for being here. We have uh, Dmitry Jegorov, Deputy Secretary General for Tax and Customs Policy, Ministry of Finance Estonia. It is good to have the Estonian view on the topic. Uh, uh, many of these issues became, uh, came into the, uh, the, the media during your presidency. Um, and uh, of course, uh, we're also very glad to have uh, Steph van Wengel, if I pronounce it correctly, a global tax policy leader at PwC and professor of international tax law at the University of Amsterdam. Uh, it's a great pleasure to have you all uh, aboard. Uh, uh, let's start uh, with uh, the initial talk, Stephen. Uh, the floor is yours. Um, it's always a little bit worrying, um, but I'll do my, my best to live up to it. 
bit. Um, okay, so uh, I'll be relatively brief in these, it's a bit of an echo chamber, isn't it? Uh, in these opening remarks uh, to just try and, try and set the scene um, about what we've been doing in our, in our work really to ensure fair and effective uh, competition. Sorry, is this working okay for you? Because I've got a huge echo here. Yeah, is it okay? Yeah? Do you, want to, do you want to take the mic instead, or? Um, we can hear you, but if you feel uncomfortable, you can take your hand. Yeah, you can take my hand. I can take the phone away. It's just for the comfort of others, really. And then to turn this thing off, maybe. now, but I presume you can. Okay, so uh, the work we're doing to, to ensure fair, effective, uh, competitive taxation in Europe. Uh, and in this area, as you said, one, one issue which has, I think, come to the fore more than any other in the last year is this issue of digital taxation. Of course, it's not a new issue at all, but it is now a topical issue. It's an unresolved issue. It's an increasingly urgent issue. Uh, and that's why I think it's getting attention. Now, first thing to say from my perspective is, of course, it's not digitalization itself which is the issue or the, or the problem. And, of course, Europe has uh, put in place, uh, I think, a forward-looking, a multidimensional strategy which is designed to embrace all the benefits that digital has to offer, and that's something that we're extremely committed to. We've launched the digital single market to take full advantage of digital transformation, uh, and we see a strong and an open and a competitive and a secure digital single market as the EU's key to maintaining its position uh, as one of the world's most important economies. However, but, uh, the digital single market can only deliver its full potential, uh, we would argue, if it's founded on a fair and on a stable and on a sustainable base. And it, this is not the case at the moment yet when it comes to taxation. And so that's where I think the linkage comes. Why are we talking about this at this point in time? Because our corporate tax framework uh, is out of touch with today's economic realities, and that poses a risk for the future, especially when you look at the, at the numbers which show that digital companies and digitalized companies are growing more rapidly than traditional companies. So you see an economic shift happening and a tax framework that's out of date and unable to keep up, and there, in a sense, is your problem. And that's why we think we need to fundamentally rethink corporate tax systems and bring them into line with these fast-changing developments in the digital economy. Uh, now, of course, the, the underlying principle uh, of corporate taxation has always been that profits should be taxed where value is created. Digitalization, however, challenges this principle because the tax rules that are conceived in a pre-internet age have been unable to keep up with modern businesses, which are increasingly generating value from geographically dispersed intellectual property, data, and user participation. So you've got this dispersal uh, of users and of data and of participation uh, and tax rules that can't keep up. Uh, and they rely, I think, now very heavily on physical presence, and this is not in line with the mobile, mobile, global, digital world that we're living in. In fact, it can actually be quite difficult in this digital world to pin down the value that has been created, how it's been created, and where it's been taxed, where it should be taxed. And so that's the, that's the challenge that we're, that we're looking at. We risk having what you might uh, call a schism between where digital profits are generated and where they're taxed, if they're taxed at all. 
indeed in Europe, it's actually quite common for companies to have a significant digital presence in member states, to make substantial profits there, but to enjoy tax levels close to zero. And this situation is clearly unsustainable. Indeed, in the recent public consultation that we held, 65% of respondents, 65% agreed that the current international tax rules were not adapted to the digital economy, and the vast majority, 82%, called for something to be done about it. So I think there's a strong uh, agreement that something has to be done, that the international tax rules are no longer adapted, and we need to act. So why is this so important? I'll give you four reasons why we think this is so important. The first is fairness. Fairness is important, obviously, because if small and domestic and traditional businesses, as well as our citizens, find themselves paying a heavier tax burden simply because uh, large volumes of digital profits manage to elude our tax framework, that's not fair. Um, the prosperity of the single market relies on a level playing field where all companies, whether they're large, whether they're small, whether they're digital, whether they're not, pay tax where they make their profits and are basically uh, uh, playing by the same rules. So I think fairness is the first issue that we want to address. The second issue that we want to address is the need for sustainable revenues in the long term. Uh, as business models become increasingly digitalized across every sector and the digital economy is overtaking the traditional economy in terms of market presence, if digital pro uh, profits can't be taxed in the countries where they're generated, well, then you're going to see a shrinking of revenue bases and, uh, and revenue gaps emerging. That's, that's just inevitable. And so the second issue there is sustainable revenues in the long term in this digital economy. How do we put in place a framework that will enable that to happen? The third issue that we see that needs to be resolved is the link to competitiveness. Uh, because here, we, we talk about the digital single market, but in fact, it's going to be difficult for the single market to reach its full potential if young and innovative companies are going to be held back by antiquated tax laws. So we need a tax environment that's fit for purpose for a competitive, dynamic, modern, forward-looking economy uh, with minimal obstacles and barriers for current and new businesses. And the final challenge is the need to safeguard our single market. Uh, member states, and I think this is, this is very clear in the public debate we've been having over the, last, uh, over the last year, member states are increasingly frustrated at their inability to tax the high volumes of digital activity uh, within their borders. Some have taken and some plan to take unilateral measures in order to resolve this problem. But it's clear that a patchwork of national solutions will actually create more problems than it's going to solve because you're going to end up with legal clashes, you're going to end up with uncertainty, you're going to end up with uh, tax obstacles for businesses, loopholes for companies, and a sort of spaghetti, a digital spaghetti of tax law, uh, which is going to be very difficult to navigate uh, in the digital single market. So there's a single market angle to it as well. Um, only 2% of respondents in the public consultation that we held regarded a purely national approach as the appropriate response in this area only 2%. So I think you can see clearly that there is a demand for solutions to be found at European level, at international level, and that that's the, that's the way to go. So this is why we think now is the time to act to secure a common approach to digital taxation at international level, at EU level, in order to avoid these kind of disruptions. So if that's the context, and that's the sort of the analysis and the, the call to action, uh, what do we think we need to do? What are the solutions? Well, these we tried to set out our thinking in the Commission communication of last September. 
uh, and what we want is an ambitious and a workable and an effective international approach. And we think that's the best solution to these uh, challenges of digital taxation. And I think this is relatively self-evident because we're clearly uh, working now in an increasingly globalized, mobile, uh, digital uh, economy, and so you need international solutions. And we are working extremely closely at European level with the OECD on this issue. And we're looking forward and working uh, intensively with the OECD on the report that's going to be presented to the G20 in the spring. Uh, at the same time, there has thus far been relatively little appetite among some of the key global players to find concrete solutions. Uh, and even if one can hope that the recent US tax reforms may be a sign that this attitude is changing, there is a sense that relying uniquely on international progress may not bring the pace or the scope of digital tax reform that we believe are required. So given that EU member states have been very clear, including at the highest political level, that they want solutions, and they want solutions sooner rather than later, the Commission has been working on an EU approach to digital taxation in parallel and in close synergy with the OECD's work. And this spring, we will be presenting our proposals on fair and effective taxation in the digital economy uh, as the EU leaders themselves requested at the European Council in October. And the aim here is to give impetus to the international debate uh, to help support global action and at the same time try to resolve the tensions within our own single market. So there's an international side to it, but also looking after the, the EU uh, single market as well, because that's, that's where our core interest is um, uh, within the European Union. Now, we believe on the one hand that we need a structural solution, and here we have an opportunity to build what would effectively be a new tax framework uh, in Europe, one that's fit for the future, and one that's suited to a strong and a competitive digital single market. So it's a forward-thinking framework that we want to see in place, and we see here a strong synergy with the proposal for the Common Consolidated Corporate Tax Base, the CCCTB, uh, and that that can provide potentially an excellent framework into which to plug a comprehensive digital solution as well. And this might involve, for example, uh, looking at uh, changing permanent establishment rules so that they reflect more than simply the bricks and mortar economy. It might, uh, look, uh, it might involve examining how we do profit allocation and how that could better reflect digital activity. Uh, but so one thing is clear, we need to look at a structural solution which is coherent and compatible with the CCCTB and which tackles explicitly this digital challenge that I've tried to set out uh, in my earlier remarks. In parallel to that, uh, to this work on a structural solution, we may also need to consider more immediate targeted measures. Um, I've already outlined the risks uh, of each member state taking up its own national approach within a single market and the risk of a sort of spaghetti type solution. Uh, and a simple stopgap measure at EU level may be the best way to avoid that outcome. Uh, the aim of any targeted measure should be to address the most serious gaps in our corporate tax systems when it comes to digital taxation and to present, prevent unnecessary burdens for, for, for companies and in particular uh, SMEs. Um, now, here I risk disappointing you because if you're now expecting me to unveil what we're going to be proposing in this in, uh, more in immediate targeted measure, I'm not going to be able to do that, I'm afraid, because we are deep in the, in the finalization process of our, of, our, um, of our proposals. But what I can tell you is that after the extremely fruitful 
consultation phase that we have with business, with member states, with international organizations, with academics, with NGOs. Uh, we were, uh, I think, delighted and, and quite um, impressed to receive over 450 responses to the public consultation, along with uh, 120 separate position papers. And we are currently uh, in the process now of wrapping up the analysis and assessment phase of, and, and of, of all of that uh, very, very valuable input. Um, as you can imagine, the detailed technical questions that arise when we get into nitty-gritty of exploring the issue of digital taxation are significant and complex. That's why we have professors on the panel to help us. Um, and, and we're working through them, and we hope to come up with the right solutions. Um, but what I can say is that we greatly value uh, the feedback and insights that we've received from stakeholders. We're looking forward to presenting the fruits of this uh, very soon now. Um, and in this context, it's not too late to share your views, huh? because I mean, one of the reasons I'm here today, uh, upstream of the, of the proposals, is to continue this listening process and to hear your input. And I'm sure that you are going to have questions uh, for me today, and I'll do my best with them. But to balance things out, let me conclude, if I could, with a couple of questions on which I'd be interested to hear reactions um, in, the, in the discussions today. Um, one would be, uh, what role do you see uh, for the EU in shaping this agenda? And, and how can we prompt our global partners to act in concert with us? Um, another would be uh, whether you agree that the status quo is actually unsustainable when it comes to taxation in the digital economy and that something has to be done. Um, and perhaps from a business perspective, what measures do you think are needed to create this competitive, supportive tax environment for our single market that can facilitate business and investors? I'm very eager to hear any views you might have on those kind of questions. But for now, I'll stop. Thank you very much for the opportunity to be here and, and, and discuss with you. And I look forward to the debate. Thank you very much. It is great uh, when someone gives a talk and close with questions because the moderator should not ask the other panelists uh, additional questions. Thanks so much for that. Uh, I think um, um, putting, um, uh, making a very short summary of that is um, um, the value of um, uh, tax, the value of where it is created, uh, the principle and the ch challenges of the digital economy. Um, I wanted to hear. I want to hear also your views on that. Um, uh, the two percent statistics number you mentioned it was something striking to me. Um, and um, I'm giving the floor to Dmitri to give us uh, his own perspective of the challenges and potential solutions. Um, I had a presentation. Okay, it's here. Um, good day, everyone. Uh, I'm really pleased to be here, and uh, uh, really thanks uh, to Bruegel for uh, uh, conducting this event and, and for inviting me. Um, as you probably know, we held the uh, presidency, EU Council presidency, in the second half of the, uh, 2017. Um, and uh, this is one of the topics, one of the hottest topics uh, on the um, agenda for us, uh, on the uh, tax agenda. So I've prepared a, a small presentation. Uh, uh, to uh, go through and explain in a little bit uh, more details uh, with some special focuses on, on what's contained in the uh, December 2017 ECOFIN uh, conclusions on the um, digital economy. 
Um, the file in itself was uh, Estonia's uh, own file. We did not inherit it from previous uh, presidency, so uh, all the more it was um, uh, special to us. But the main idea is not uh, novel, of course. Uh, it is that the international tax regulations uh, uh, are based on physical locations and on tangible assets, and this is simply not working in the uh, era of digital economy. So uh, many agree that the these rules are um, outdated. On the other hand, uh, there was a strong move uh, which we tried to resist and will be trying to resist uh, as much as we can uh, to start naming and shaming. You know, we, there is a separate issue of uh, tax avoidance, and uh, there can be digital companies as well as old economy companies uh, that are uh, pursuing this. This is not what we're dealing with. What we're dealing with is the outdated nature of some of the uh, tax rules. And so the whole process for us was, of course, about openness and cooperation. We liaised with the main actors, international actors, and we were trying to seek commonalities, uh, not disagreements, because seeking disagreements is so much easier. Now, um, I've used this uh, metaphor many times, and, and we'll probably have to use it, that uh, you, of course, all know what a pressure cooker is, you know, and it's standing on a, on a hot plate um, at the moment. And this is why, uh, you know, we can describe the political pressure uh, we see right now as, as the pressure cooker on the hot plate. And uh, there is uh, a lot of criticism of uh, short-term measures uh, that have been proposed, uh, and, and if you even uh, closely watch uh, the wording of some of the organizations, then short-term uh, steps are labeled as measures, and long-term measures are labeled as solutions. So it, 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 it's telling, um, and it has its uh, meaning. But there is large discontent, great discontent, with the speed of moving ahead, and I think uh, Stephen also mentioned this. Uh, so, uh, by introducing some of the short-term measures, which, uh, don't understand me wrong, they do have uh, their own drawbacks, and, and we all know that, uh, uh, but it will allow to relieve uh, uh, some of the pressure to give us time to search for longer-term solutions uh, uh, that will be acceptable uh, on a much broader scale um, internationally. And vast majority of EU states actually do side with the long-term comprehensive global solutions uh, because uh, uh, the positions right now would like to um, uh, enable uh, the solution to keep the, the rest of the international tax regulations uh, intact and in place. But there are short-term measures, as you know, which have been proposed uh, uh, by 10 member states. And uh, as such, uh, uh, finally, there was no objections uh, to discussing um, uh, such measures uh, among other member states. Now, uh, no objections to discussing them doesn't mean, uh, of course, uh, approval of these short-term measures, which we should also understand. So in principles, the conclusions focused um, uh, on the fact that these challenges of digital economy actually do go beyond uh, uh, BEPS. So this is not only a BEPS issue. This is an issue of internationally agreed corporate uh, uh, income tax rules. Uh, but permanent establishment, as much as possible, could actually remain as the central concept for global allocation of taxing rights. This uh, concept has worked uh, for many years, uh, for tens of years. Uh, so if we could uh, uh, live with that uh, in future, it would be, it would be good. 
but of course, the, the current rules uh, lead to misalignment of where profit is taxed and value is created. I mean, we all agree that uh, uh, tax should be paid where value is created, and everybody applauds to that statement. But when we dig deeper and, and we discuss, well, so what is that place where value is created? We see a lot of dissenting um, opinions, and this is an important uh, issue, which the OECD is looking at right now, and this process uh, uh, of exploration is highly appreciated by EU member states. There is, in fact, uh, uh, this precise wording in the in the ECOFIN conclusions. So uh, a new global approach uh, is needed to be based on a, a revised concept of uh, PE, permanent establishment, profit allocation, and transfer pricing rules. But of course, neutrality is preferred as much as possible. You know, we would like to be able to apply the same rules to old economy and to the new economy. Um, there is a view that digital economy cannot be uh, ring-fenced, which is, of course, another uh, big topic to discuss. Now, if we talk about uh, the substance, we talk about just of the matter in the conclusions, you know, the most viable option uh, for the new nexus seems to be a virtual PE, meaning if there is a significant uh, economic presence uh, digitally in some jurisdiction, then we could say that uh, virtual PE exists uh, in that particular jurisdiction. And uh, it is proposed that it be based on uh, BEPS Action 1 report on the factors contained therein, for example, revenue factor, uh, user factor. Of course, again, profit allocation and transfer pricing must be taken into account. But uh, until we discuss uh, uh, how and, and where uh, we get uh, uh, in terms of long-term solutions, uh, short-term measures uh, uh, could be possible. Now, within these conclusions, we have not been able to, to pinpoint exactly what those short-term measures are. Uh, yes, there is a mentioning of an equalization levy, but if you pay attention to the wording, it only mentions this as one possible um, uh, measure. Uh, so so uh, the Commission was invited uh, to look at uh, other alternatives, uh, should they be uh, uh, better uh, equipped uh, to solve uh, the issue. As a side issue, and we probably won't focus uh, a lot on that, uh, role of data must be given particular attention uh, because you know, our economy is, is getting data-driven uh, more and more day by day, and possible reporting opportunities of various uh, digital platforms to tax authorities have also been mentioned. But yet again, that's a, that's a separate issue. Uh, let's not focus on that too much today. And uh, for the conclusions, how and when uh, we should see the results, uh, we should see some advancement. Of course, the Commission was asked to assess feasibility of uh, short-term measures uh, on EU level. And uh, if we had disagreements about what those measures could be, there was unanimous concern that, you know, an absence of this uh, consensus, uh, what to do, would actually undermine EU internal market. You know, if we have 28 different solutions uh, within the single market on how to tax digital economy, Europe would be a, a pretty miserable place to do uh, digital business. So, and and this, uh, this concern was uh, shared by many. Um, there is an invitation to table the proposals in early 2018, which we know uh, will happen, and, and the purpose is uh, uh, to, to avoid unilateral measures within EU. But of course, uh, the clear preference is a global uh, 
response, global action uh, in cooperation with the OECD. And of course, it naturally translates into very high expectations that uh, everyone has for the uh, OECD, uh, OECD's work. We've asked, or the ministers have asked uh, the OECD to take the ECOFIN conclusions into account, and vice versa, the, the commission is asked to take the ongoing work of OECD into account when coming out with the uh, proposals. The steps that followed, of course, uh, as Stephen has, uh, mentioned, there is a public consultation on this topic, and it, uh, I think it was January 3rd, and uh, I, was, I was pleased to learn that uh, uh, there is between 400 and 500 uh, pieces of input, uh, which uh, also puts uh, a lot of burden on you. Um, the commission proposal early 2018, so sometimes uh, end of March, really looking forward to, to that. And I was hoping you would crack and, and tell us a little bit about the content. Uh, but uh, I, guess, I guess we should wait a little bit. Uh, the presidencies of uh, 2018, Bulgaria and Austria, to our best of knowledge, are fully engaged and, and devoted to the topic. Of course, uh, um, right now we're waiting for the proposal. and. Um, Discussions and, and, and drafting uh, will uh, will follow um, upon the the proposal. But the international cooperation continues. You know, monitoring uh, discussions, uh, ana analysis, analyzing. You know, what what various proposals also outside of EU mean for the future of digital taxation. But you know, let's step it up a notch. Uh, basically, for the future of corporate income tax, because uh, the economy is getting more and more digital. And of course, hopefully, we'll see the adoption of EU legislation and transposition of, uh, of it into uh, national law um, as uh, uh, soon as possible and to the extent that it will give us uh, the best results. And coming from Estonian, being a patriot, you know, I can uh, uh, omit uh, uh, doing some, some uh, tourism information. This is the, the <laughs> Christmas market that you see um, in Estonia. You all are uh, very welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Uh, one question before we move. Um, Stephen, in his talk, um, calling for a structural solution, uh, he mentioned that uh, we can probably find that in the frame of uh, CC, CCTB. Um, is this something that uh, you, you agree with? Uh, let me start a little bit. Uh, 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 further um, down the road, we actually had, uh, if I remember correctly, nine uh, uh, officially nine compromise texts uh, for the uh, uh, conclusion, ECOFIN conclusions. Uh, of course, the number of, of uh, unofficial texts was was much higher. And uh, uh, CCCTB, in one way or another, was actually discussed uh, 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 around the table bet uh, between the experts and. Uh, uh, you cannot find CCCTB in the final document, but uh, I do believe that uh, uh, digital CCCTB, if we could call it like that, actually does have some uh, uh, promises, uh, uh, you know, in, on the way to solutions. Uh, last not least, because uh, these would be new rules. And uh, for member states, it's difficult to give up their existing rules, much more difficult to give up their existing rules for, for some new rules, rather than you know, uh, in, install new rules uh, 
where there are no national rules. So, so this, uh, purely for the process, uh, could also be one of the ways uh, uh, forward. But I also think that uh, um, there is a, a substantial matter. You know, uh, the CCCTB or the CCCTB principle where you have one profit and loss statement uh, for all the 28 member states could be actually appealing to businesses because you know if you tell them now you have a virtual PE in all the 28 member states, which means that you will have to learn all the 28 different corporate income tax systems, uh, may actually be not so enticing. So uh, perhaps digital CCCTB first as a sandbox uh, you know, for the whole CCCTB, but uh, perhaps later as uh, changing our old, our perspective on all the economy, you know, and and the the uh, uh, the role of CCCTB uh, uh, for the corporate income tax future. I think there are some prospects. I wouldn't rule it out. Thank you, uh, Steph. Uh, your thoughts. So good afternoon to you all. Sorry I didn't bring pictures of Amsterdam today. Um, I guess it's upon uh, Johannes and me to, uh, to provide for the critical note as academics. Uh, you agree, uh, Johannes, that uh, that's what we do? Um, so uh, when we hear Stephen and Dimitri, it's clear we have a big problem, and that problem needs a solution. And uh, my question here would be, and I'm not downplaying any of this, uh, you know, are we trying to come up with a solution that is in search of a problem? I'm not saying that that's the case, but I will elaborate. Because the notion that all of you and all of we have, and if we go out in the street, is that corporate income tax is disappearing, and it's the citizen that is picking up the bill. The OECD, less than a month ago, released revenue statistics for the period 1965 to 2015, and if you look at those revenue statistics, and you can play with them, so take longer and shorter periods, there is a very interesting, a couple of very interesting percentages. One is that corporate income tax, as a percentage of GDP, in fact, has gone up between 1965 and 2015. It has gone up between 1990 and 2015. Same for the corporate income tax as a percentage of the total revenue mix. Where you see um, the curve, you know, taking an unusual dip is from 20, 2009 onwards. 2009 until about 14, it goes down dramatically. But that happens to coincide with the financial crisis and the economic crisis, and you see an enormous pickup. Generally, if we look at the numbers and the percentages again, <clears throat> the average in OECD member states is that the total uh, sorry, the corporate income tax as a percentage of total revenue is somewhere between 8 and 10 percent. That's what it, you know, that's the bandwidth. If I look at, and I think the Netherlands is, a, is an interesting example and also a, a, an appropriate example, um, during the crisis, really, corporate income tax went down to a point where it reached, I think, 12 billion maybe. If we look for the projections for 2018, the current uh, year, uh, the projected corporate income tax is 24 billion and 24 billion. And if you look at the total revenue mix or the total revenue raised, this is excluding uh, social security uh, premiums, a part of those, 
is about 220 billion. So we're actually over 10% now. So that's one statistic that I think is highly relevant to, um, to understand the context. The second is that if we, um, if we look at the outliers, so I think both Stephen and Dimitri indicated that some uh, companies uh, do not pay any uh, meaningful tax, meaningful, I think the word was in Europe on their income, their digital income. And I think that's correct. But we are guided by the outliers. If we read in the newspaper that in a particular setup, a group structure or part of a group structure, the tax, the effective tax is 0.00 something of the profit, the notion that is sort of, um, you know, uh, gets in the minds of everyone is multinationals don't pay tax. But there are quite a few research reports by independent institutions, academic institutions as well, that establish that the thousand largest multinationals in the world have an effective tax rate and have had those effective tax rates for many years that is in the bandwidth between 20 and 30-something percent. So that's also something that we, you know, together with the revenue statistics that I just mentioned, should keep in mind as... Uh, context here. So am I trying to convey to you that there is no problem? No. I agree wholeheartedly that there is a problem uh, that needs to be so solved. I think there are a couple of dimensions to this problem. <clears throat> so one goes to residence versus source. I mean, the classic construct in which we have operated in the tax world is we have a company that has its residence somewhere. That's where the business is, the people, the mortar, the bricks. And if they operate in another country, they need their own operation, their own branch in that other country. And in the, at the time that the permanent establishment concept that Dimitri was mentioning you know, was developed, <clears throat> running a business in another country meant not just part of the value chain. No, it meant you know, uh, a copy of the business that was running the home country with all the profitability and the profit drivers inherent in it. The idea was that the source, or the PE, the permanent establishment country, would have significant tax take from the activities that took place there. I think long before the advent of the digital economy or digitalization of the economy, that construct started to, uh, to get eroded because of the deconstruction of the value chain. If you look at modern multinationals, they just cut up the value chain. There is R&D. There is the ownership of the intangibles, there is the manufacturing, there is the distribution, and marketing sits you know, everywhere. And it's quite easy with the OECD transfer pricing guidelines in mind to sort of uh, take all the activities uh, and, and let them run at the minimum profit level that is uh, commensurate with the entrepreneurial activities with the risk run by those activities or generated by those activities. It's focusing on people and quite often uh, well, the significant people uh, in, the, in the language of the OECD, quite often those people don't sit in the market. So you saw already a bit of an erosion uh, of, um, of that principle. That is exacerbated by the advent of the digital economy. I think, I don't know whether Booking.com was, was mentioned, but Booking.com I think is an interesting example to show how revenue uh, is sort of extracted from a country. So if you and I'm sure there are here people in the audience that have used Booking.com. If you do a reservation through Booking.com, what happens is that the, you know, the, the hotel owner uh, that used to generate all the profit, you know, the, the, the entire margin, in fact, 
pays part of the margin to Booking.com. And that happens with all the, or many digital companies. So that, you know, that part that is a payment from the hotel here in Brussels to Booking.com, probably in the Netherlands, um, interesting outlier in the digital uh, world here, is deductible here in Belgium and is probably included in the tax. So we see a shift from source to, uh, to residence. Now, I think, not disregarding all the issues that we have, that this is, you know, we have to, and, and I think that Stephen also mentioned this, this calls for a fundamental rethink of the division between residence uh, country taxation and source country taxation. Now, the maxim or the goal of um, the mantra, I should say, that the OECD um, has, um, has, has given us is that profit should be taxed or profit should arise and be taxed where economic, economic value is created. I think Stephen used that as well. Well, the, the question is, is that right? And is the permanent establishment, and even if we have a digital permanent establishment, let's, let's assume for a moment that we have that. So we have a digital company that is resident somewhere in the world and has digital business without any relevant presence, any permanent, anywhere in the world. So the only place where it physically is is in a particular country, but it generates revenue in many other countries. Let's say that we now come to the concept of a digital permanent establishment. We say if you have X you know, amount of revenue in that country, you will be deemed to have a taxable presence, a permanent establishment. So what? What is then the profit to be attributed, the overall global profit to be attributed to that permanent establishment and taxed in that country? If we focus or if we look uh, at the, uh, the rules that the OECD has designed, it focuses really on, on people, significant people, risk, etc. So that's not going to do the trick. Um, I'll come back to that later on. The arm's length principle, um, same, same notion. You know, value is where people, people generally people create uh, value. So, you know, sort of move to uh, an end of this. Uh, do I still have a few minutes? Yeah. Um, so I, I think, um, and I'm not talking about novel, I'm not talking about introducing withholding taxes, equalization levies, etc. So I'm, if I still think of income tax in uh, the era of uh, digital, the digital economy, uh, I think that our uh, current system is, um, is not the system that we should stick by. We have to rethink uh, the system, fundamentally. Um, CCCTB was already mentioned. In many corners of the world, formulary apportionment or CCCTB, for those of you, of you who are, do not have a tax background, you look at the consolidated profit of a multinational, all the profit that multinational generates in the world, you consolidate it, <clears throat> so you have one profit, one big chunk of profit, and you uh, sort of allocate that profit, you divvy up that profit amongst all the countries that are involved, either because the market is there, because employees are there, or maybe tangible or intangible assets are there in the current thinking, tangible assets. And with those three formula or more formula, you sort of divvy up. Uh, that can be done in different variations. You can sort of stick to the current construct and say we still use the permanent establishment but then do a profit split, so we, we say where well, the market, the, the permanent establishment is in the market, that market commands a certain profitability, therefore X percent of the profit of that product line 
will be attributed to that, that's conceivable. Um, <clears throat> I, I think, frankly, myself, that we might, may be moving, and this is also the upshot, I think, what <clears throat> Dimitri is saying, we may be moving here more in the thinking of formulary apportionment, a CCCTB. I think equalization levies, other turnover uh, taxes, are really a very bad idea. Um, they, I mean, if we, ch if we sell them as uh, an income tax, it's, it's really a mistake because, um, or not a mistake, it's erroneous because it's a tax on turnover. We have that tax. We have a VAT. And I think uh, in a very recent paper that is still in draft form on the website of the Max Planck Institute, uh, Professor Schoen, Wolfgang Schoen, did a, a very good paper where he says, well, over time, what you have seen that, yes, <coughs> source countries, the markets, have reduced corporate income tax, sure, but they made up for that with the VAT. Of course, the notion is that VAT is borne by the consumer and that income tax is borne by the company. Economists will tell us that that may not be the case and that the incidence of taxation is on the consumer also for corporate tax and on the shareholder, uh, of course, and the employee. Um, I th well, just one more remark, Mark, on... Um, um, really on U.S. tax reform. I think that was mentioned as well. I mean, if we think of the, the headlines, U.S. multinationals not paying tax, I think the discomfort that sort of created the political pressure we're in right now, part of that is this, you know, shift between uh, source and residence uh, taxation. But part of that is the notion that big U.S. multinationals don't pay their fair share of tax. They don't pay any tax, I think, is the notion out there. If you look at tax reform as it was enacted on Jan 1st of this year, it has become quite difficult for U.S. multinationals to escape all taxation. I think the minimum threshold is now 10 uh, or 10.5%. Uh, so sort of the, the compensatory tax, you know, filling the vacuum may no longer be that acute, but it's almost irrelevant because the discussion is there, the perception, the, the problem uh, that needs to be solved is there. So it's a duty upon all of us to think constructively on it. And I think a challenge also to sort of resist uh, the pressures to, to do, uh, you know, short-term measures that would then be replaced by longer-term solid solutions. Because there is, you know, there is this saying that uh, there is nothing uh, that is as permanent as a temporary solution. So that would be very dangerous, I think. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the very structured uh, uh, speech. And uh, I think uh, you made clear where you disagree with some of the measures, especially the short terms that uh, they have been discussed. Uh, I saw Johannes uh, that uh, was uh, uh, moving his head uh, positively. Let's, uh, let's hear. I, I guess it will be the same tone your talk. Please go ahead. Give me the point. All right, so hello from my part. Um, yeah, so um, let me talk about taxation of digital firms circa 2018. Can you hear me? I can hear me. Okay. Um, it's circa 2018 because I'm pretty sure that in two years I won't uh, talk about the same things right now. So moving, uh, things are moving pretty fast as we know and uh, we have some difficulties in keeping uh, uh, pace. So, okay. So I'm uh, glad, glad that uh, Steph brought up the U.S. tax reform, and I think that this is part of what 
um, shapes the current situation pretty much. So um, you know that th this ambitious plan for the destination-based uh, uh, tax system has been dropped quite a while ago. Um, and now we are here with beat, guilty, and FDII. So beat and guilty are terms that George Orwell would have been proud of. Um, <laughs> Uh, BEAT is base erosion anti-abuse tax, and GUILTY is global intangible low-taxed income. And uh, this GUILTY uh, tax, uh, together with the foreign-derived intangible income tax, FDII, is uh, what uh, Steph just talked about, uh, will change the situation uh, quite a lot, and uh, will uh, make the situation uh, a lot harder for tax havens. And when we talk about as I've said, um, multinational firms that are not taxed at all, that may change in the, um, in the near uh, future. So um, um, looking at Europe, um, we had, we heard about this before, uh, the push for the CCCTB, and now what is on the table uh, seems to be an equalization tax. Uh, what I take from this, from the whole situation, are two things. Um, First, a general dissatisfaction with the arm's length principle that uh, is the core principle of our uh, system now. And uh, second, uh, the urge or the need for more destination orientation. And uh, the first step that I want to make is to ask what drives uh, these uh, developments. Um, so um, a first aspect of this may be the emergence of large visible companies, for instance, like Google, that have seemingly low tax burden. Okay, so when we talk about this Apple, Google, and so on, all these um, uh, firms that are uh, so uh, important for our daily life, and uh, all these new papers, uh, newspapers articles, they say that they practically pay no tax at all, this is something which, which shapes at least the, the political debate. The second thing is um, the, uh, the um, increasingly importance of consumer data for production. So Google, for instance, depends uh, uh, strongly on consumer data uh, for their production of advertising uh, things. A third thing is the increasing importance of intangibles. So this, you won't see that uh, properly. So this is the, um, the tangible, so the red line is the tangible um, uh, asset uh, curve and the, uh, the upward sloping uh, blue curve is uh, the uh, in intangible asset part. Uh, so you see that intangibles become more and more um, uh, important, which somehow undermines the source principle and which makes it very hard to apply, uh, to apply the arm's length principle as we know that um, usually uh, intangibles are uh, very idiosyncratic uh, um, assets that have no comparable. We know that there's increasing market concentration which drives up profit and which makes it, um, uh, well, even more attractive to, to get a bite in this uh, profit. Um, and it may be, that may be just speculation, but there is an, maybe an increasing presence of uh, multinational firms from non-Western countries, which may explain that we find it more and more attractive to push for more destination uh, orientation. Okay, so if Chinese multinationals have large profits, um, we won't uh, participate, and so destination orientation would mean that as long as we have consumers, we get uh, part of the uh, profit as, as, uh, as the tech space. And um, last aspect of this is the rise, 
I think what we can observe is the rise of nationalism in the US or regionalism in the uh, European Union, which may increase the readiness for unilateral action. So this is a little bit the, uh, the current situation with all the underlying uh, developments. What I uh, want to do now is take two approaches to uh, taxing digital firms, a pragmatic approach on the one side and a normative approach uh, on the other side. So the, my pragmatic approach looks like this. I think an equalization tax will uh, likely do more harm than good. Uh, we, uh, we just heard that um, uh, Wilbur Ross, um, in a, again, uh, irresponsible act of communication by the American government, said that they are already in a trade war and that now they're sending their soldiers. Okay, so I think this is bad timing to um, implement a unilateral action that breaks with everything that our international tax system rests upon. Okay, so um, an, an equalization tax effectively uh, targets US-based digital firms. Okay, so I heard that the threshold would be some, somewhere uh, around seven, uh, 750 million euros. So above that, th these are mainly the large American companies, okay? Um, if, if you feel that we are in a position that now to even start something like a tax trade war, uh, I think that would be a big mistake, okay? Um, so by all means, I would say, um, we should avoid destroying the international tax cooperation and uh, try to save the principles that this coordination rests upon. And an equalization tax would violate not only WTO uh, old law, but also all these double tax agreements and so on. Okay. The pragmatic approach is to say, well, we need to recall that um, international tax rules are not something derived from first principles. It's something that is meant to keep uh, source and residence countries happy in the long term and to keep tax havens out of the game, okay? And so we need, as a, both a host and a residence country, we need to think ab uh, about um, the whole issue in, in long-term um, uh, aspects. That, that, that means we have been profiting from th that system in the past. We will profit from that in the future. And now, if there's a specific situation which U.S. multinationals make large profits that stay untaxed, that may not be enough reason to throw over the whole system, okay? So I think a pragmatic approach could be to say, well, these multinational firms threaten the U.S. tax base as well. And this is why they introduce all these anti-avoidance um, instruments like the BEAT and the GUILTY and the FDII. Okay, so now it is very unattractive to place their intangible assets in tax havens. And we could say that would be a perfectly pragmatic approach um, if we can make sure that this income is taxed somewhere. For instance, in the US, we're fine. But so now I move to the normative approach that, that, that says, okay, that may, that may be too pragmatic, uh, and there is maybe the case for taxing digital firms. And... Um, and I think, and I, I agree with um, uh, Steph and Dimitri, uh, uh, who said that uh, the guiding principles should be value creation and not, as I read it um, frequently, turnover. So the notion that once we observe firms 
making large turnover in the European Union, they should pay business tax or a profit tax here, I think is wrong. So we, we don't, uh, we don't uh, tax oil companies that just export their oil to the European Union. Okay, so these are just imports. And we could say, okay, so if we talk about value creation, this, is, this means to exclude all pure imports. And I think, from my point of view, Netflix is such, a, such an example. It shouldn't make a difference whether you import DVDs or whether you input the same data via uh, streaming, right? A next step would be redefine auxiliary services as core activities, which, is, uh, which makes it possible to, uh, to tax uh, firm, firms like Amazon. And then, <clears throat> um, Dimitris uh, said it before, we should aim for a future-proof definition of uh, permanent establishment and um, to make sure that we um, fix the current situation in which some value creation is below the current uh, permanent establishment radar. That means there is some value creation, but for uh, reasons that are uh, tightly linked to the digital economy, uh, do not uh, qualify um, as, a, as a permanent as, um, establishment. So we're currently working uh, on uh, such a definition, and we have two approaches. The first is, if there's stateless income, that means if there's something, uh, some value creation that has no home, we could, as a default position, use crucial inputs. So if you take, for instance, Google, they um, um, crucially depend on uh, consumer data. So if they want to sell um, advertising products to companies that uh, want to target uh, German consumers, they need data from German consumers. Okay, this is the crucial input, and this is uh, tightly linked to uh, the geographic position of these consumers, that means Germany. Um, the second thing, and this is my last point, uh, is um, atomized production. So, um, uh, so this advertising, uh, uh, in earlier times has been done, for instance, on billboards. So Google does that now. On, uh, so here in this room, uh, over 100 uh, tiny billboards on your screens, right? So because each and every of your screens is m much too small to qualify as permanent establishment, of course, but a billboard could establish, uh, could qualify as, as, as a permanent establishment, right? And so we need, and we can measure this, uh, the, uh, the data, we can measure the data, we can measure the clicks and so on, and maybe these could be lumped together and if they, uh, above a certain threshold, they, uh, we could build something which is a virtual establishment. But as you see, uh, what I say is pretty vague, so this is ongoing work, but we uh, hope to come up with something which is, uh, in the end, a core proof. Thank you very much. Uh, Stephen, uh, in your talk, you asked for some feedback. I think uh, this feedback arrived uh, in, uh, in, to, some, to some extent and for particular points. For example, the short-term uh, measures like equalization tax, it was very critical. Uh, can we have uh, your reactions? Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, thanks a lot. I mean, uh, I can't react to everything. It would take, um, it would take too long. Um, but uh, I think it, you know, I'm interested as well also in having some, some, some discussion with the audience perhaps as well. But uh, I mean, one thing to say, you'll notice in my remarks, I did not utter the words equalization tax. Huh? 
so, I mean, uh, uh, there may be a straw man in the room. I, I don't know. Um, but I, I, I mean, you know, I, I listened um, maybe a couple of reactions on, on what Dimitri said. I mean, I think the, the interfacing between the CCCTB proposal and whatever comes out in the digital space is, is important. Um, and uh, one of the things we're looking at is how to ensure we, we, we have coherence and complementarity uh, because uh, I mean, the Commission's position remains that the CCCTB is, is a very, very key proposal for the future of the single market and something that we, we continue to remain invested in and to be pushing uh, through this mandate. And, and the digital layer that we want to bring in is not designed to replace or somehow divert attention from that. So we need to ensure complementarity and coherence. I think there are ways of doing that, um, but that's, that's an important point. Um, uh, another thing that I, I picked up was the the, I mean, is this a, a solution or a, or a problem in search of a solution? I, I like the I like the formulation. I think in, in part of the remarks that followed, uh, I mean, it, it is clear that there is an issue that we need to address, and that the, the problem is more the devil is in the detail about how to do that. I mean, on the uh, on the effective tax rates issue, uh, I mean, the the numbers I have are that the um, if you look at, at, a, at a distinction between purely domestic. Um, uh, operations which tend to have an effective tax rate around about 20-21% and the more digitalized uh, business operations which have an effective tax rate around about 9%. So you can see a difference there in the numbers between the types of business models uh, which indicate that there, is, that there is an issue. I mean the tax revenues may be being collected but the question is how is the distribution of that, um, uh, of that, uh, of that tax burden um, uh, uh, being skewed and, and does something need to be done about that or not? Um, and I was struck as well by the, the point you're making about the difficulty of defining value creation. You were using the booking.com example. I think you know, it, it's, a, it's an interesting illustration of the fact that you can have you know, a, a consumer in company A uh, doing something in, uh, sorry, in country A doing something in country B with a, with a company that's based in country C. The data may be processed in countries of D. Uh, the marketing and advertising may be in country E. There is a value chain there that is being that is being operated, which is different from the old days when you pick up a phone, call a call a hotel, and make your booking. Um, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, uh, and this is a, a sort of vibrant part of the economy. But the question remains: Well, is the tax system able to capture that in an appropriate way? And that's something that we are, you know, we're, we're very very focused on. Um, uh, and I, I mean, I, I listened very carefully to, to your points on the pragmatic and, and the normative approach, um, and I shall continue to, to reflect on that, but I don't want to hold the, uh, the microphone, so I'll hand it back to you. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Um, time flies, um, so unless there is any urgent remark on what was heard, we can open the floor for questions. I see some hands there. Uh, yeah, let's one, two, three, and then we'll continue. Thanks. Uh, Louise Heenan, and I'm the Irish tax attaché. Um, I enjoyed all of the remarks and the debate that we've had so far, uh, as much as I enjoyed uh, the ECOFIN Council conclusions debate that I uh, had with Dimitri under the last presidency. I'm still supporting my Estonian lanyard. Um, I have some comments to make, and I think I'll just keep it to three. Uh, firstly, on a sectoral approach, um, uh, everyone discussed the difficulties in value creation and the difficulties of applying international tax rules in the 21st century. I wonder, 
whether consideration or due consideration has been given to defining or to redefining value creation based only on some business models. Is that the best way to redefine the international tax rules based only on the digital problem, or is there a wider discussion there that needs to be had? I thought that was the conclusion of the action one of the BEPS reports, was that you can't isolate just the digital economy, and how are we going to tackle the digitalised global economy without tackling all the international tax rules? The second point is a competitive approach. Uh, the European Council conclusions of October that the Prime Minister has agreed on, that also called for a global level playing field. I think that's something that we need to bear in mind going forward with the EU proposals. And the remarks made on US tax reform, I think, were particularly pertinent. The OECD has been tackling the issues of lower no taxation. The EU has been grappling with these issues. And we've seen now with US tax reform that the dysfunction created on a global scale by the US tax system has finally been grappled with. Have they already grasped the nettle? And what does that mean for our reaction? What does that mean for the EU's response if the issues of lower note taxation from large US multinationals has been dealt with? Uh, and what role does ATAD implementation in EU member states have to play? Uh, that hasn't yet been implemented by member states. It won't be until 2019. And the follow-through effects of that remain to be seen. And the final point I'd make would be about a global or a regional approach. Because if we talk about CCCTB or if we talk about profit allocation within the EU, you're talking about slicing up the European cake. You're talking about redividing profit allocation within the EU. And is that the problem we want to solve? Or is the problem more a global one about global profit allocation? And to complete the circle back to my first point, whether a sectoral approach is the best approach to take or whether there are broader issues at stake. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's uh, collect other two questions and then we'll answer collectively there and then to Scott. Thank you. Uh, Aurore Chardonnay from Oxfam, working on tax and inequality. And I will surprise you telling you that I tend to agree with the comments made by the Irish uh, attaché, because it's true that this debate on value creation um, is not necessarily linked to the digital economy, per se, as far as I hear it from, from your presentations. And I'm just wondering if we're not finally starting to open the debate that we NGOs defending the interests of developing countries have been asking to, to open for a long time, which is who is entitled to tax what, and based on which criteria, and what is value creation. We are talking about a lot of big American multinationals, but I mean, um, we're not only talking about them, right? Uh, I don't consider um, American multinationals to be only entitled to be taxed in the US. They also benefit from uh, European infrastructures when they sell their products within Europe. And not, I'm not only talking about roads when you sell physical products, but also, you know, all the, the, the networks that make uh, any online shop, shopping available and uh, for European customers. So we as NGOs, we are asking for this debate to be open at, on a global stage, true, uh, more at a real global stage within the UN more than the OECD, which is for us a, a club of richer countries. It uh, doesn't mean that we should not have this debate at European level. We've been pretty supportive of CCCTB because we believe there are also internal problems with the EU. Um, but yeah, just to bear in mind that this is for us very key and I'm, I'm wondering what is your opinion on, on value creation. Um, this short-term solution based on turnover is also raising concerns to us because that could be also a, det a detrimental effect on developing countries as well because where do you make most of the turnover is in richer countries. And I heard in your presentation you, you made uh, the statement that 
now the, the source versus destination base is, is challenged because you have more and more non-Western MEs. So I'm just wondering, so before it was okay because most of the income came to richer country and now it's not okay because we have to share. Isn't it fair just to share? Actually, do we need to learn how to share this uh, added uh, profit? A <coughs> last comment is just, you know, about this thing that we say uh, corporate income tax is decreasing and this is made at the expense of citizens. Um, I just would like to clarify that this is also a worry for the OECD itself, so I would be very interested to read the latest report you mentioned in your presentation, because I just read again an interview from uh, Mr. Goria, the head of the OECD, who was actually concerned by this trend. Uh, VAT rates have been increased by two points, so this is not, uh, it's not a lie. And, and the tax mix actually uh, is, is still not in favor of um, of corporates because it's true it's stable but profits have been increasing so actually in real terms it has been decreasing for for corporates thank you uh, scott hi i'm uh, scott marcus i'm a senior fellow here uh, first i'd like to thank all of the panelists for a really really exceptional discussion uh, I'd, I'd like to come to the question that stephen raised at the outset about how does one create the right framework to try to get international agreement on this um, and uh, a couple of points and observations. Uh, it, it, again, as someone who was born in the U.S., I, I continue to track uh, developments there. Uh, and the, uh, the tax reform that we've talked about in the United States, I mean, there's, there's a lot of negative impact to it, but uh, there are also some positive implications. Uh, relative to this problem, of course, uh, the rules regarding repatriation change substantially. As many of you will be aware, as many people in the audience will know, uh, historically, profits weren't taxed. They could be parked overseas indefinitely and would be taxed only if they were repatriated. Um, that together with a lower corporate rate and also with the ability to de depreciate uh, very quickly for investments made in the next few years seems to be changing the game a little. What I read in the press is that Apple is looking to repatriate in the next year something like a quarter of a trillion U.S. dollars and to pay something like 38 billion in U.S. tax. You'll, you'll recall that the uh, the dispute with Ireland a while back had to be was largely framed very much in the terms that uh, that uh, Stephen was uh, talking about before. That otherwise they pay no taxes. That seems to be a little less the case. Um, it maybe doesn't solve the problem, but it puts it in a different frame, perhaps. So I, I'd, I'd be interested in some reactions on that. The, the other question I, I had, closely related though, I think, is um, if one looks at trying to get to international agreement, then doing nothing doesn't necessarily help us to get there. There are too many incentives, perhaps, to drag heels and not enough to move forward. Uh, I think that um, the, the concern with taking precipitous action, uh, uh, I think, is exactly the, the concern that Stephen raised. You risk, perhaps, a trade or tax war. Um, is there some middle road where one maintains credible threats, but then uh, holds them in reserve? And with that, thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. Um, Let's uh, go to the reaction. Anyone who wants to start? Maybe your hands. You have a mic. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, so thanks for all these um, very good comments. Um, the, the first one is um, the question, is value creation properly defined? So this is what I wrote down. Um, uh, it isn't, and it can't. So uh, value creation cannot be. So we know the value creation by firm. But we cannot do uh, say anything sensible about the location of value within a firm. That's just not feasible. So everything that we do here is uh, by necessity fictitious. So we have rules 
we have these these uh, standards like arm's length pricing, but the, uh, the, the reason why the firm exists uh, drives uh, the difference between arm's length pricing and something that happens inside the firm. So, and, um, um, and this comes to you. So th what I think what you had in mind is something like a Marxist point of view that the value is something else than the market price, right? So, and this, this makes completely sense if you look at Apple, where all the profit is uh, reaped by um, advertising and marketing. And uh, so these uh, guys at Foxconn or whatever um, uh, get uh, virtually nothing uh, out of it. This is something which when you hold your iPhone in your hand, you cannot really understand, right? But this is, these are, and uh, I think there is, um, uh, you can make the case that uh, in a well-functioning, Economy, the market price is something that could be uh, taken as a standard, but in a um, highly distorted economy in which we uh, struggle with imperfect competition, for instance, and talking about Google, Apple, and so on, is something where we have imperfect competition, in which we have exploitation, for instance, right? And uh, here, to, to take the arm's length price or something that uh, the uh, yeah, that, that would be an arm's length price. This is a market price, actually. Um, uh, may not be the right standard to be adopted by governments to uh, determine the tax base. But this is a very broad general issue. Uh, uh, by no means only related to digital uh, companies, but this is, this is what, uh, so this is one of the standards, one of the rules that we adopted, uh, that, we, uh, that we take market prices or comparables um, to determine the tax base, but th this is something which could equally be changed, right? Um, yeah, competitivity. That that is a that is a good uh, that is a good question. But um, um, so my reaction to this is, um, we always had differences in competitivity um, uh, with regard to wages. Um, uh, national rules and so on. So international trade uh, never has been a, a level playing field, okay? And this is in principle, this is true for taxation as well. And this is, uh, I think we, what we should do is uh, focus on uh, the really severe problems and not so much on, uh, on um, small differences in tax rates, small differences in, 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 in wage rates. But uh, so, uh, Maria, so Maria's term was that, um, um, countries free riding <coughs> on other countries' um, uh, value creation. That is something which we should tackle. So um, instruments that are on, uh, the only purpose of which is to extract revenue from, uh, from, uh, from production. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't um, create or construct a conflict between global or regional action. I think the CCCTB is just a again, a pragmatic approach of uh, ending uh, harmful competition between European countries. And this is not so much about um, uh, global standards on uh, taxation, uh, global cooperation. Uh, yeah. So um, my last point, so Scott asked this question, I think Stephen had this. So um, we may use instruments to prompt our partners to act. And if an equalization tax, which you didn't mention, um, <laughs> uh, is something that could be used for pushing forward uh, um, the global agenda towards more cooperation, 
uh, I'm completely fine with that. Uh, so if that leads us to, or so we uh, have a necrotization tax, they have their beat attacks, uh, uh, let's drop it both and uh, let's, let's do something meaningful. Th that would be completely okay and that would be preferable, but I see a large risk with the Trump-led administration that this leads to just justification. Okay, so they do it, we can do it as well, and his base cheers and uh, <coughs> we're, uh, we lo we're losing uh, um, um, the important uh, um, uh, foundation of international tax cooperation. Sorry, it was a bit long. So. Thanks. Who wants to react now? Yeah. Yep. Go to Dimitri, then Steph, and yep. Thank you. Um, first of all, uh, thanks uh, to all of my co-panelists for, for uh, uh, wonderful presentations, and thank you all for, for the questions. I find them uh, very um, interesting. Now, uh, uh, I'd like to start with Louis' questions uh, about the value creation and, and, and business models. I really appreciate the work that the OECD is doing, and, and uh, I think uh, they've chosen a good avenue of, of analyzing based on, on scientific literature uh, the business models by comparing digital businesses with traditional businesses. And I think this is, this is going to be an important contribution by trying to locate the differences that will basically open up uh, uh, the, the avenues for, for solving the problems uh, if, if there are problems. Uh, uh, found there. Now, I will be at odds with, with uh, uh, many people perhaps uh, uh, around here as well of, you know, the, the uh, non-ring fencing of, of the digital uh, economy, uh, you know, because I, I'm just not sure that, you know, we have uh, new business models uh, that have appeared uh, that didn't actually exist uh, uh, prior to, to digital. On the other hand, you know, uh, we're trying to um, but by saying uh, there's no ring fencing of digital economy, we're trying to push the digital economy in the traditional rules, which traditional rules, you know, uh, they're based on locations and based on, on, on assets, on tangible assets, uh, uh, of which none is important for, for, for digital business. So we do have uh, um, uh, a problem there, and, and I, I kind of uh, <coughs> Uh, also relate to the first question from the, the um, uh, lady from Oxfam, you know, it, it is, uh, you know, digital versus all-time traditional. Now, in terms of uh, the competitive approach, um, I think what uh, Europe is, is running a risk, uh, a great risk in terms of competitive approach is that, uh, you know, uh, direct taxes are still the, the prerogative of uh, every member state. So, so where we are going to lose out on the competitiveness is the 28 different equalization uh, taxes which everyone is, is basically entitled to do, and I think that's going to be a, a, a sad uh, uh, picture, and it's really going to be a dysfunctional uh, single market. Uh, in terms of uh, CCCTB, you know, there are some views that, uh, uh, and I don't want to sound like a dark oracle, but uh, I think we're, we're seeing um, actually, you know, the beginning of the end of the corporate income tax, and one way or another, uh, CCCTB-like approach could actually be the future of corporate income tax uh, in the world, you know, and I think that the U.S. attempt uh, with the excise tax is, is basically a clear hint to uh, CCCTB worldwide or some sort of uh, uh, formulary uh, uh, apportionment. Now, uh, the second question from, from the Oxfam uh, lady, I, I, sorry I didn't uh, catch your name, but uh, I think you're very right. Um, and uh, if, you, if you look at the OECD uh, uh, public consultation, the video is available on the internet, uh, there are some comments that say, you know, this is a highly political matter. Uh, 
that we're trying to uh, discuss as a you know scientific or educational matter, uh, and uh, of course uh, uh, it's not entirely true, but uh, a lot of it uh, is true because where the uh, international uh, internationally agreed uh, tax regulations that are in place uh, now, you know, derived from 19th century uh, old Prussia, which basically was you know we sit down and we discuss you know who gets what. It's not a two by two equal four. It's not a pi constant, you know. It's, it's we sit down and we discuss. You know, the, the situation in the world has changed. You don't have to go to another country. You don't even have to leave your own country to be significantly economically present absolutely everywhere in the world and to extract value from everywhere in the world. So the politicians do have uh, the ability and they probably feel the pressure, you know, to sit down and discuss who gets what in this new world. So uh, uh, this is the reality, and, and we're facing it uh, like this. And, and to finish with Scott's question, uh, actually, um, um, both of them, you know, for that very reason that it's a, it's a political question on, on who gets what in these uh, new circumstances that you don't even have to leave your own country to be present everywhere, I don't think that it's okay if enough tax is paid in, in one jurisdiction. Because uh, politicians want, you know, the tax to be paid in a different jurisdiction, and and uh, that's that's it. And and to finish off, you know, uh, I think an okay solution with all its deficiencies, an okay solution soon is much better than a perfect solution never. And so this is the this is the driver uh, behind these discussions. Thank you, Dmitry. Steph. Yeah, thank you. I will try to uh, pick up on uh, the three remarks that <coughs> were made, or the remarks from the three of you uh, as well. Uh, first, um, on um, um, you know the issue of uh, redefining business models, should we isolate or not isolate uh, digital? I, I think, and, and you know, this is not just my belief, but the OECD is very clear, and I think every academic that I have read in this field say, don't isolate. That's you know, there is one economy, and that happens to digital, uh, digitalize at a high uh, pace. So that's you know, that's the focus. Uh, and, and where it should be. Uh, on um, the level playing field, US tax reform, I think your message there was, um, we have seen uh, the BEPS program, we have seen the anti-tax avoidance directives, we now have US tax reform. Let's sit still, let's sit tight for a moment and see what the economic effects and the effects on the global economy are in two or three or maybe five years time. And, and I would strongly agree with that um, and connected also with the point that uh, the, the speaker, the lady from Oxfam, uh, made on the OECD statistics, are you know is corporate tax revenue sort of um, not growing with profits, as um, uh, Secretary General Gorilla uh, said? Um, that um, that might be the case, but. I think the focus there has been on the last five, six, seven years. And in uh, 2009, with the uh, financial crisis, the losses uh, incurred by large multinationals were huge. And those losses, uh, it takes in most of the systems, these can be carried forward. Um, and, and I think the loss carry forward has still not been uh, exhausted at this point in time. And I think the responses of some of the U.S. multinationals and even non-U.S. multinationals to U.S. tax reform are in a way evidence of this, 
is how can it be that the US announces a reduction in its corporate tax rate from 35 to 21%, and a good number of large multinationals, including banks, uh, oil companies, then have to take a fourth quarter in 2017, a fourth quarter loss that runs into the billions. That is because they have losses carried forward that are accounted for as tax assets, and all of a sudden, these cannot be valued at 35%, but at 21%. So to me, that's evidence that there is still an ocean of carry-forward losses, which may explain that you know, the rise of the corporate income tax over the last five or six years has not sort of um, been followed equally with, uh, uh, sorry, uh, corporate profits has not been followed equally by corporate income. That may be an explanation. Uh, on the global versus regional approach, just building on, on what Johannes also said, I think they can be linked. Yes, CCCTB is a, an EU regional uh, thing, but in a way, you can build in a lever by uh, adding on to the current proposal that non-EU multinationals would be deemed to have a taxable presence in Europe and then use that as a sticking point for the formulary apportionment. Is that sympathetic or is that not sympathetic? I think that we will find um, at least rationally company in some unexpected corners because China and India have been telling the OECD, we don't buy into your uh, you know, fundamentals. The market has value, uh, location savings, you can operate you know, cheaper in our jurisdictions, the labor market, those happen to be factors that are part of the formula of formulary apportionment. So I, I, th I think that we may find ourselves in more global company than, than we thought. Uh, just a little remark on the developing countries. I completely agree. We have a big theme there. But the theme is much broader than just multinationals. Uh, I, I, this is a very small anecdote. About five years ago, I was sitting in a bus uh, on my way to a dinner. Next, This was in Malaysia. And I was sitting next to the uh, Commissioner of Internal Revenue of Bangladesh. And I was exchanging you know, thoughts with him about tax avoidance and, and all the issues that we talk about today, and he smiled. He, he laughed at me. And he, did, you know, he was very polite. He did not say, you are very naive. But he did say to me, I have about, I forgot the number, 300 uh, um, um, million people in my country. I think it's more. I, Commissioner of Income Tax, know one million of them. The economy is a cash economy. I have no idea how to identify you know, profit, loss, sales, etc. That's my theme. So I think if we want to assist uh, developing countries, we may want to do that with capacity building, and yes, also with making sure that transfer pricing is solid and that treaty application is, you know, not um, is, is is not for sale, so to say. There are lots of issues, but I think domestic capacity building, helping, you know, identify the cash part, extremely important. Um, finally, on Apple, uh, or on, uh, it's interesting. Um, the um, the number that Apple mentioned that they are going to pay over to the IRS, of course, is a result. So, U.S. multinationals for many years, and by the way, no criticism implied. This is this was the system uh, for many years. Sort of left their non-U.S. profits outside the U.S. and. The background was very clear, explained by you. If they would have brought them back, the, the U.S. tax would have been 35% minus the tax that they would have paid in foreign countries. And the name of the game was keep the money offshore and make sure your foreign tax is as low as, low as possible. So the huge number 
that U.S. multinationals are now paying in this year is that because all the money that was kept offshore is deemed, this is a fiction, deemed repatriated to the U.S. and then taxed at, what was it, 15% and, and at a lower percentage for, uh, for, for uh, illiquid assets. Uh, that's the number we're looking at. In theory, the amounts paid by, or to be paid by some U.S. multinationals because of the state aid um, investigations and then determinations, creditable against the U.S. tax, perhaps. That is not really on spot, you know, on your, on your question, because your question was also, would the U.S. mandatory repatriation take some of the pressure out of the state aid uh, themes? I, I could see that in the, I think the Apple decision by the commission uh, has a clear indication there, because the commission says, well, this is the number we pick, I forgot the, the, the profit base, but it was huge, you know, for a 13 billion tax bill. Uh, but if it turns out that there will be adjustments in the US, those would be deducted from uh, the amount uh, payable under the order. So there is a, a, there is a dynamic, I think, um, that, um, you know, that has more detail, but that is undeniable. Thank you. Thank you, Steph. Stephen, time to close. What are your views? Okay. Uh, well, first of all, thanks a lot um, both to the, the panelists um, and to the uh, to the audience. It's been a really interesting discussion, and uh, I've, I've got some really good feedback, so that's extremely useful for me. Um, I just want to pick up on one point, uh, really, which is this discussion about EU action versus global action and the and the timing of that. I mean, as I said in my opening remarks, I think there's a strong complementarity. We're strongly committed to working together in, in the at the international level to drive this process. But I think there is both a space and a need for European-level action for the reasons that I that I set out. I think it's in line with what we uh, want to do with the CCCTV. So there's again a strong complementarity and a strong coherence there. Um, now, is this um, credible action or a credible threat? Um, well, time will tell. Uh, we'll, you know, we'll see how this story um, 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 unfolds. Uh, but I don't think you know a wait-and-see approach uh, is appropriate for, for a European Union. That, or a million plus uh, citizens with a, with a vibrant single market. I think we have to also be active. We were very active in the BEPS process, both in the formulation of BEPS and in the implementation of BEPS, and I think we should be active and engaged in this digital debate uh, uh, as, we, as we continue on this journey. And I think we have a role to play in driving that um, for our own benefit and for the global good as well, and that's certainly the role uh, that we are trying to play in the, in the European Commission. Thank you very much. Uh, I would like to thank all of you for being here for these uh, great talks and uh, wish you good luck with a very, very busy period ahead. Let's thank the speakers, please.